Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don't be ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things. A weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. I'm your host, Anthony. Steve and I cover the Nina Project. Ella's back and her powers are getting very interesting. Steve and I discuss possible plot lines for a season five. And Steve and I cover the various permutations of SpaghettiOs. Just a word on Steve's audio. The first... Eight minutes or so are not great, and then we fix the mic, and then it's fine after that. So if you're one of these folks that tunes in just to hear the dog noises in the background for Steve's audio, you're not going to get those in the first eight minutes. So just go ahead and skip ahead, and I guarantee you'll hear a few dog noises after that. All right, an aphorism or two from the ancient one, Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit right here and talk about it. Now, we'll talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. Steve, today we're covering... Season 4, Episode 5, The Nina Project. And I've identified eight, count them, eight storylines. So, eight-sided die. Again, Gucci are free. Gucci are free. The crowd goes wild. Um, it'd be interesting to know if our if our fans like the you know, that little thrill of knowing that it could just end at any moment. <laughs> I know uh, my wife doesn't care for it. She does. Oh, she doesn't like the Gucci. Because I think the well, I think the concern is that you know you'll we won't touch on something she wants to hear us talk about. Yeah. Well, this is that's it's a fallen world. (laughs) (laughs) This is is the the way the world works when there's Gucci's. All right, I'm just gonna roll this thing. We just jump right in. A three. Uh, three is Hopper. Hopper's getting his ass beat again. (laughs) <laughs> Afterwards, he realizes that Jack and Hagar is a prisoner, too. Jack, I'm sure this guy has a name. I think it's Antonoff or something like that. <laughs> but he'll always be Jack and Hagar to me. Jack and tries to scheme his way out of the prison while Hopper laments over his bad luck in life. He thinks that he's only brought a curse into the lives of the women that he loves. I'm kind of enjoying seeing Jack and Hagar back in prison. I don't know if you remember back to season two of, of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. We first meet Jack and Hagar in a cage. That's right. That's and right. he's trying to scheme his way out. So I get to, I get a little little nostalgia there for, for good old Jack. And... <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bit less uh, uh, magic. He's a little less magic in this uh uh, yeah, there's yeah magic magic abounds, but not through him. So. Uh huh. Right. Exactly. So in a show that is rotten with magic, poor Jack and Hagar is at a disadvantage. <laughs> He's the left out. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling about the uh, the sort of the emotional stakes for Hopper? Are these doing anything for you? Um, I think this episode does a little bit more. I mean, it does. I mean, it is a bit of a expository pity party and i'm i forgive yeah. it he's he's gone through an awful lot at this point um he's he's basically uh like just getting all the harrington beatdowns in in one season <laughs> i do feel like um you know because i was a little bit worried like so if you're just going to remove hopper because you want to raise the stakes for the scooby-doo gang then i feel like none of this russia storyline really matters 
But I do feel like this episode reminds me why I actually care about Hopper's emotional investment in Eleven. Mm, yeah, and yeah. and also Joyce now. So I think that you almost need, even though it's a little bit expository, I feel like you almost need something like this to happen in this storyline in order to pay it off later. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think yeah, because there is there has been a bit of a uh, and meanwhile in Russia to the whole Hopper, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, storyline, and I still am not. I mean. I don't know how it's all going to tie in. I don't know what the advantages are. Like at this point, you spend so much time in Russia. It feels like, well, there's got to be something else that comes out of it besides just getting Hopper back. Right. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the juice has to be worth the squeeze at this point. We right. have to get like, even if it's just, Oh, cool. On their way out, they found like this Russian weapon that can kill Vector. They absolutely need something like that. They need they need this to pay, they need this particular storyline to pay off in a way that helps the Hawkins plot along. Right. You need a sort of a so the consequence of this is that now this can this other thing can now happen in Hawkins. Right. Cuz no no one cares. No one cares about these these poor men in Kamchatka. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, if it's just this thing where you know Hopper, you know, unless it becomes something where on the way out he sees all these these prisoners and he realizes, you know, I need to stay here. <laughs> I need to stay in Russia. <laughs> I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna train Drago so he can fight Rocky and end <laughs> the Cold War. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe maybe there's something all that'll maybe all come through with d- that. Maybe Drago ended up having to fight the Demogorgon in his training. <laughs> that would be something. Because they were using all the science available in the Soviet Union. I don't know yeah, I mean, that would be cool if we could see like like we find out it's a shared universe and they uh, they get into where all the Drago training equipment is and it's uh-huh. <laughs> that's how you get like whatever they've been injecting Drago with that if you get injected with that then you can survive the upside down <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna roll this thing unless you got more on Hopper um, but I no, I think it is it is better uh, I you know even though it was a little bit like alright bro but at the same time like he's, he thinks he's gonna die and, and uh, so I feel a little bit more emotionally connected to to him again and reminding why we, you know, it's just kind of, I mean, not that we forget, but it's when you don't see Hopper do anything, but, you know, take a sledgehammer to the ankle and finger some peanut butter. It just feels like, well, what yeah. are we doing? The, the, Which, now the that I say it out loud. <laughs> to finger peanut butter. <laughs> not sure that you're allowed to Well, that was the original, like, you know, your chocolates butter. in my Butter, your peanut butter is my chocolate slogan, and that's why they ended up settling on that because uh, it didn't test well. Mm-hmm. No, I know that this is this is list. <laughs> this podcast is listed as explicit, but there well, but are, that's where like, so when Reese's abandoned that whole the whole strategy for that uh, the campaign. That's when Butterfinger came in and was like, "Bro, <laughs> we're going, we're leaning in." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna roll this thing. All right, we got ourselves a two. Eleven wakes up in the back seat of the Riser Goon sedan. They're in the desert until they go down to the compound where there is a big old Project Nina waiting. Doctor Brenner and his magnificent hair is back. L tries to run to no avail. L wakes up again, this time in her old Hawkins lab attire. This time she's walking through an old memory. A very creepy blonde fellow freaks her out until she hears Brenner's voice over the PA. Brenner explains the story of Nina and tells her to focus on her training. She does and begins to progress through her Padawan playground. She tries to escape, and her powers return, albeit in a limited way. Elle decides to return to her training, this time willingly. You're frightened of me. Perhaps in our time apart, you may have even grown to hate me. But all I've ever wanted to do is to help you. Right now, I think you very much need my help. Your gifts have been stolen. I believe I know why. 
and I believe I know how to get them back. Let us work together again. You and I. Doc. And Papa. So you got your wish, Steve. You got Modine and his hair back. Yeah, that's good. That's good for everybody. Do you uh do you care at all that uh we were pretty convinced that Modine was killed at the end of season one and now he's back? Do I care? Um I don't I don't because I don't care. I kind of like, like I like what Modine brings to the story enough that I'm willing to forgive the the fact that he I, I'm pretty sure he was eaten by a demogorgon. But anyway. yeah, there is so that that brings up a a question is like I mean the first thing I thought was I'm like is this really Doctor Brunner like or is there something else right. to it right and I don't know I don't know that we have any indication to suggest that it's not really him but at the same time he's just back. You know, I think we're supposed to just believe this is Brenner and he escaped. Yeah, I, we, there's we, clearly we didn't actually see him, you know, devoured face first. Or right. Whatever. There's something about Dr. Brenner, though. That there's more to him than meets the eye. Right. I mean, I, I, I think we see that in this episode. Hold on a second. Man, I've been using the wrong mic the whole time. You were, and I, I thought, eh, it sounds a little different, but I, I think uh, I'll just go with it. I actually did think about, like, saying, hey, are you using a different mic? And then I thought, that'll make it sound different halfway through the podcast, but now we're here. Yeah, so what do we do now? I think that we leave all of this in, and people will just have to deal with okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I looked over, and I saw that the mic was unplugged, and I'm like, that's weird. How are we doing <laughs> It's an upside down magic trick. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I did have a moment where I'm like, well, but how is this working? Not real, you know. I mean, obviously the computer can pick up. It's got its own microphone, but, but, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> anyway, I think that uh, which means now that with a better mic, you'll be able to hear my dog snoring in the background much easier. <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking. You know, this is clearly of a of a lesser quality. But I don't miss the dog noises. <laughs> well, get ready. They're back. Like, <laughs> so like just Dr. Like, Brenner. <laughs> um, yeah, just like Dr. Brenner's resurrection, we will now hear Django's dog noises again. You betcha. Um, yeah, so well, I was going to say <laughs> before I made this discovery, um, did you get the sense that her, so you said her powers are limited, or are they limited when it comes to Dr. Brenner? Does he have like, is he... Is is she? Is he got like a RoboCop failsafe? Mm-hmm. Or um, I don't know if you ended up seeing uh, Black Widow. Mm-mm. Oh, it's good. You should see it. Anyway, I, I probably spoiled a little bit of Black Widow for you, but um, uh, yeah, I got the sense that she expended her powers, and then she was like out of energy. Mm. Interesting. I didn't think it was sort of like she can never use these powers on Brenner, but, well, but he says to I wouldn't her, be, I wouldn't be disappointed he, he, if that was the he case. He says one of, he says the, the first of at least two, um, Tarantino esque lines that we see in this, uh, in this season. When he says, you didn't really think it would be that easy. Did you? Right. To me, yeah. that suggests there's something more to this that he, than, than he's letting on. And she says, I don't understand, and he says, I do. Mm-hmm. So, I I mean, my way, my way of thinking, the way I took it was, he just has a better understanding of how she, how her powers, the limits of her powers. Now, you could take it a step further, and it sounds like this is where you're going, that he's built in a RoboCop fail safe or, or there's some or there's something about yeah there's something psychically i think through all this that perhaps uh like maybe he she is full she's more weaponized than she realized mm-hmm. um or maybe dr brenner is is her alternate personality and he never existed outside of her mind and that's why he couldn't be eaten by a democrat no. see now we're cooking um yeah, so that's kind of what I got out of it. Um, I did think of it. So, uh, did you? I don't. I just for for the listeners at home. I don't really think that. But <laughs> did you? That'd be kind of cool. Did you? But did you make note of the uh, the Kill Bill line? 
No, tell, remind me, what does he say? Do, you didn't think that would be that easy. Is that Yeah, one? so that's a, I mean, I know it's not like a, that's not like a super specific phrase, but it is, uh, Oren Ishii says that to uh, Beatrix Kiddo. Oh, interesting. And then we get another, we get a Pulp Fiction reference, and I think, I think it's the next episode. Hearing, like this one, I immediately went to that to the Kill Bill thing, mm-hmm. and, I, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's maybe, maybe not. And then the next episode, there's one that is like, oh, yeah, that's right there. I'm like, that seems like two in a row. Right. This seems intentional. Yeah, in a show that's sort of hyper-aware of the cultural influences that made it possible, you take that stuff a little bit more seriously. Right. right? And which also doesn't wouldn't necessarily go in with the 80s motif by any stretch. No, but we've already established that they're willing to jump ahead a bit right you know so i'm really digging modine I, I i really feel like i believe that he's evil i totally believe he's evil at the same time i totally believe that he has this paternal pride like no one is more happy to see 11 do 11 magic stuff than he is and there's a scene where riser's like you know we shouldn't have put her in there and modine's like no She's gonna swim. You're gonna you're gonna see exactly what my monster can do, and he's just playing that perfectly. I feel like. No, I think so, and I I think it's the like we've got this villain, right? We've got Vecna as his villain, but mm-hmm. the obstacles along the way in uh, in the regular world, the real world or whatever it is, uh, pose unique challenges to each group right you've got the forming mob right right now it's just a basketball team trying to mm-hmm. you know trying to get vigilante justice you've got this military presence that's trying to to get l and, and by virtue and they're mm-hmm. also like sort of they're the obstacle for the for the boys on their little journey um mm-hmm. and then now you've got this you don't really know what dr brenner's uh, ultimate end goal is no here. this is all very x-men in fact the fact that uh the the basketball dummies in this episode are all wearing black suits yeah yeah because they just came from a funeral but but now you get to put them in black suits and so you got this third faction of goons yeah like okay now you got the evil scientists they got their agenda you got the military you got their agenda you got the evil mutants they got their agenda and then you got the the good, you know, the X-Men. I really like all of these warring factions and no one feeling like more dominant than the rest. Right. I, I really think that they're playing with equal degrees of ignorance and equal de- degrees. I mean, I guess one, one group has machine guns. Yeah. <laughs> that's an asset. Yeah, that does. Right? Yeah, well, the, and but that's what I, I think is also great about just the the overlapping peril, right? Because meanwhile, uh-huh. Vecna is just operating at, at the speed of Vecna, doing whatever he yeah. wants and going through with this plan. And so there, everybody, without necessarily maybe even knowing it, are all trying to stop. They're all trying to get together to stop him, right? And 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 they can't get to that point until they get past whatever obstacles are in their way you know whether well yeah no so far no one's ever menaced vecna there's no reason for vecna to think that anyone's going to stop him from doing his vecna yeah the only the only thing is the he seemed and it's brought up in this episode he seemed uh a bit taken aback that max had entered his 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 world like that seems different than the upside down right there's the upside down and then there's this red world, and and mm-hmm. uh, Dustin suggesting that he obviously I'm jumping, you know, we haven't rolled that dice yet, but like in terms of just what we're doing to to, to get to as far as inter- something something has disrupted him, but it's not necessarily a threat. So yeah, so Modine in this is sort of like uh, like I was a little bit worried at, in our eight minute preview or whatever at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was a little worried, like, are they going to turn Modine into a gray character? Because I feel like part of what made that first season work was that he, this guy is all evil all the time. Right. Um, and yet, I do feel like I'm enjoying Modine. I'm enjoying that he, what he's bringing to the table. And he really, at the end of this episode, he really does 
you know, they have that papa daughter moment which i think is supposed to make your skin crawl or whatever but you do get the sense that like well if eleven's going to get her powers back she's going to have to make a deal with the devil here right and then what it see for me i find it even more like when you talk about the skin crawling element there's also the element of like well we know she needs her powers back because of this vecna threat yeah but for her are are the powers the you know <laughs> i think that the spotlight on this on this season the spotlight on l and we see it through mike and it is mm-hmm. well, without her powers she's just a kid and if she's just a yeah. kid does anybody care so there's kind of it's it it seems almost a little like that when when he when she goes and and Stockholm syndromes her way into you know Dr. Brenner's hand and walk down the hall yeah. I mean there's multi levels of of uncomfortability at least for me is it's not only it's like ah, I don't trust this Brenner guy for one I mean I don't know how gray he is but I don't think he's even Paul Reiser sort of acts as a uh, sort of a moral compass alongside him. So you don't know for sure. You know, he's still a scientist. He's still, you know, guided by whatever. Well, his... it is it is helpful to have someone in the room with Brenner with some semblance of a moral compass because you get more insight in, into Brenner's motivations. Right. You know, if everyone is just always obeying Brenner, he never has to explain himself to right. anyone. And and also there's somebody that you know is in the room that, at least as far as we as we understand, sees L as uh, as as a person as a child as opposed to just mm-hmm. something that an experiment or a weapon so when she right. but when she goes back with him it's like there's that oh she's sort of going back to where she's comfortable to some degree because at least here she feels like she knows this place she was bullied uh, she's going through emotional issues with with dealing with you know maybe the loss of her first love and all of those things mm-hmm. are, are, are things she was never equipped to navigate they where, because because of because of how she was raised by by Brenner, she doesn't have that capability. So at least here, she's like, I know where I stand with this guy, good or bad, and he can give me this my is, purpose. Well, while it is a traumatic memory, it's a traumatic memory that's familiar, to right? Her. And she feels like, she, why would she feel any safer in the other world? I mean, she's tormented mm-hmm. in that other world. She's she can't. She wants. To well, I was, <laughs> I was just gonna say. At this point, I don't know if she has any clue about Vecna and you know defeating Vecna. I think she's just thinking, "I got to get back to Lenora, and I've got to finish Angela off." Right, right. Well, the thing is, is like if I if- <laughs> in order to do that, I'm gonna I need my powers back, and I need to go back and completely ruin the entire town. <laughs> yeah, I need to go full carry on this place, or at least, at least I need to have a moment where I'm in the quad and I scream with my hand out, and something happens, like. <laughs> Yeah, I, even if it's just I'm not a, gonna be mocked. Even if it's just a magic trick, like just something. Uh-huh. It's a little Superman two. Was it Superman two where he like gives up his powers? Yeah, uh, so he can fall in love. Yeah, exactly. And he and he gets beat up in the diner. Yeah, no, actually, you know what? There, there may be some Superman two DNA in this, and if there is, I'm in. I am all for it. <laughs> if there's a Neil before Zod moment, I'm, I'm in. Neil before Zod yeah. moment where. L breaks every bone in Angela's hand. <laughs> Here's the other thing about this this part of the storyline. I really think that this is the heart of the theme of the dream state. Right there's this this dream theme that's running through the whole season, and I think it's probably you know a direct homage to Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, but it also works in this particular part of the story because it's it's almost very nightmare on Elm Street for her to run through the hallway and go into the room and realize this is a memory but it's functioning like a nightmare and so I think that there's this parallel between what Ella's going through and what really sort of the haunted house motif that's going on in the rest of the episode yeah well I mean uh, it's interesting they're all trying to get somewhere but they're all trying to escape something to get there yeah we need to talk about the nameless creepy blonde attendant mm-hmm. that we meet in this episode right can i tell you a secret sometimes papa doesn't tell the truth so we know we know who this turns out to be because we've watched the, the first seven episodes but 
What were you thinking when this guy is introduced when you watch this for the first time? Oh, I mean, I, I'm like, this guy's... I, I started to think that he was responsible for the, the first eight-minute scene. Oh, you started to think that. I was wondering if this was supposed to be young Brenner. Oh, oh, I see. Like, you think it goes that far back. Well, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't, timeline-wise, it wouldn't work because we saw him. It wouldn't, the timeline wouldn't work, but because she is in a dream state. Oh, gotcha. I've, and, you know, they're playing with sort of her being younger and older at the same time. But by the end of this, I it was clear that it was not. I just didn't know what to do with this guy early on. And we clearly, the way that they introduce him, it's clear that he's an important new character, right? He's not just your garden variety goon. Right. And so I, was, I wasn't sure what they were trying to do with that, that particular character during this episode. Yeah, all I had was, this is, this is the key to that, that opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anything else on the uh, Nina Project part of this episode? Um, no. So we, you know, we talked about the last episode how we had no L, and now we get L back and get like lots of L, lots of L, and lots of uh, um, you know, now we're you know, because now the the L story is like really kicking into gear in a new way, right? So I think this right. is how it begins. Did you feel like you were were you ex- glad to have L back? Did you make a, a notice of that? I'm glad to have L back, but I think I'm glad to have L back because they're doing something really interesting with her powers that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that maybe when I was talking about the 11 fatigue before, I was thinking, how many times can you show her doing the same party tricks and, and have it be interesting? Right. But now that they've complicated her party tricks and... And connected her force powers with this little deal with the devil that she has to make at the end. I do feel like that's kind of interesting because now it's not like this is what was done with me and now I'm just going to use my powers for good. Right. She's choosing. No, I I need to. I'm going to have to become a superhero again and I might have to walk an unsavory path to make it happen. Yeah, and the thing that. Um... That that kind of gets me going back to I think we discussed this a little bit, but just the idea that she because her age matters and the concept of identity matters and the idea that well if I don't have my superpowers then Mike doesn't have the same feelings for me if I don't have my superpowers I'm mm. nobody at school if I don't have my, like all those different things because it's different when you see like you know like a, a a Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility this is this feels a little different like I don't know how like of this how much of this is is based on i it's in you know i've been blessed with this heroic ability and it's for the greater good i don't get that you know what i mean and and i don't mm-hmm. know i mean not that it, it's the opposite it's just that i don't feel like it's like that's been explored so that that motivation is kind of ambiguous and i i, I like how that works because mm-hmm. it might make a little more sense why she would make a decision to go follow Brenner. There's nobody here. There's no mic in her ear. There's nobody saying, choose this, don't choose that, or I'm with you no matter what, and all that stuff. So it's just, well, I'm this is what I'm this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm comfortable with. And and it doesn't necessarily have to all be good for her motivation. Exactly. She clobbered somebody with a skate. I mean she full on took the person out of the skate because she couldn't throw her across the room with her mind. I mean that's the thing to remember in all of this. Well, yeah, and the other thing about this is that, you know, it's really a, kind of a super villain move to say, I need to become more powerful here. I'm going to become, I'm going to become something more than human. And so for Eleven to make this move to become more than human, it does complicate her character to a certain extent. Which is, um, which is nice. And I think that's kind of what you're referring to too, is like we're seeing her with her, you know, and started just pulling the same parlor trick. She's doing something else with it, and there's, there, the show is doing something else with her powers. And, mm-hmm. I, and I do like the idea that, um, and it doesn't feel stale to me. Like you just talked about, like superhero tropes and how familiar they can be. And this is that sort of. You know what I mean? It's it's because sure. she doesn't yeah. have uh, an Uncle Ben or an Alfred the Butler necessarily. Like the closest thing she's got right now is Dr. Brenner and we don't trust him, you know? And so, mm-hmm. so that's kind of, uh, it's intriguing. It's, it's a, he's her Raza ghoul at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Probably more so than that. Okay. I'm going to roll it. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We have ourselves a six. This is Max, Nancy, Dustin, Robin, and Steve, uh, who I'm calling the Scooby-Doo gang. Max is drawing her Vecna vision with crayons. With crayons. Crayon? How do you crayons? say that? Crayons? Crayon. We used crayons. to just say crayons, right? Like we didn't. Crayons. We Cray- crayons. Crayons. Cocoons of yeah. crayons. Nancy pieces together the fragments and sees that it's a haunted house with a rose window. Dustin suggests that Max has infiltrated Vecna's mind. They decide to go to the old Creel house. They search the house as some familiar electricity shenanigans happen all around them. Vecna is then revealed to be an upside-down haunted house demon. The flashlights explode as Vecna murders Patrick. Um... How did you like the haunted house stuff? Um, I think I'm a bit of a sucker for the haunted house. You like the haunted house stuff? I do. I'll tell you what I liked. Mm. I really liked the flashlight, you know, turning your flashlights off kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, really sort of a, was a callback to the compass stuff of season one. Oh, yeah. You know, not that they didn't also do compass, compass stuff elsewhere, but I'm, I like that. It's it's serving the same purpose. Like they figured out a way to make these tools that are accessible to any kid, right? Any kid has an access to a flashlight. Yeah, unless you're Steve and then you just totally missed the memo. <laughs> I laughed really hard. Yeah, that's great. Dustin looks at him and says, Do you need to be told everything? <laughs> you're not a child. I did think that <laughs> I did think that there was a little bit of meta backlash. Do you think that that was the Duffer Brothers talking to the audience simultaneously? Oh, because everyone's so old. <laughs> oh, well, no. I was thinking, like, everyone that wants to, like, find all of the little intricacies and, like, say, well, wait, where do they get flashlights? Oh, I see. How did this happen? How come you didn't set that up? I, I did get a little sense that, like, they were telling the audience, stop asking stupid questions. Of course. You don't need to be told everything. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, anyway, that's how I read it. But um, I, I thought that was a great little exchange, for sure. Uh, glad to see Karen and Ted back on the show. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a great dynamic, too. <laughs> just Ted still just... Nothing moves him. <laughs> Ted is just so true to form. It's like his whole world is... All he cares about is just having a little bit of peace and quiet. I just want to read my paper. I just want to watch TV. I just... I just... You know what, Karen, go have an affair. Just, just go. Just, just one moment of peace, please. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Karen's hair, if, if you're up for it. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm invested. You know, I'm invested. It's been a while since we've had a conversation about about Karen. This is why I really want to do a season three rewatch because I really want you to just just <laughs> spend some time with Karen by the pool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I. All right. So what is what is that? that blonde perm do for you like in terms of what is it what does it remind you of um i just it's what every like jazzercise or aerobicide it's a total jazzercise move isn't it it's like i don't know if it's jane is it jane fonda yeah i don't know if she ever was permed out but i mean mean, i'm sure Uh i'm sure she had to have been but but yeah i mean all those um all those aerobics uh shows that would be on in the early morning that for some Uh reason my dad would need to watch all the time (laughs) <laughs> that's funny it was my mom working out to them but yeah my dad my dad. dad wasn't working out that that i could tell <laughs> i mean he was working out in the bathroom afterwards I'm yeah sure. i'm no yeah there was yeah, just sitting on a couch and i was like i as a kid you're like well there's just certain things that happen when you become an adult you drink black coffee with dinner uh you read the paper and i guess you get up early to watch uh women exercise 
And people wonder where you got your comedic spirit from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> this is talking about superheroes' origin stories. I didn't ask to be bit by that spider, Anthony. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. I don't. It did, I was a little disappointed. It's just not. It's not a look. It's not a look that has uh, stayed the test of time, right? I mean, no, it hasn't. And I was looking at her. I was. I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, I shouldn't be too judgy, but oh my gosh, what what are you doing? You look at like someone who went to my church as a kid. If you can't handle Karen Wheeler at her perm, then you don't deserve her at her Farrah Fawcett feather, Karen. I don't. I don't des- I know that I don't deserve Karen, for sure. For sure I don't. Yeah, I need to apologize. Probably need to apologize. Um, I, you know, I have little moments. Little moments of darkness from here to time to time, Steve. Dustin's shirt and hats. These have to be an intentional homages to styles in teen wolf right it kind of feels like that right i mean we've already seen we've seen teen wolf posters we've yeah i think that that's all i got on the scooby-doo gang i do maybe we should talk a little bit about vecna their vecna reveal i feel like this was the episode that did the most to try to connect the new bad guy with the upside down right Right. so because we saw the we saw an early glimpse of you know they they do. That's the one thing they do a good job is like when you're sitting there, like, is this the upside down? Is this the upside down? And they ask things like, did you see little things floating around? Like they're asking Eddie that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and in the upside down, like in in, in some of the Vecna dream sequences, you, it doesn't, right? You don't have that. Um, but mm-hmm. but we do see that he exists in the because we do see the little floaties. We do realize it exists in the upside down, but there's something else to it, right? There's there's like another layer, right. and um, and so this, yeah, this this grounds it in the upside down, which, which as little sense as it makes to them, it makes more sense than than not, right? Because now you can mm. say, well, if there's an upside down, if if he's in the upside down, we know that you can get there through gates, and if you right. know how to get, in, so now it's so so now that that helps that next part of the mission is like there's a gate somewhere. Right, um, and then that gives us access. Now, what do we do with it and all that? That's you know still up in the air. But to know that there's because if it's only existing on like a psychic, you know, like dream state, like a Freddy Krueger is like, well, that's we haven't done that before. <laughs> we don't know how to right. go with that, and we certainly can't do that without the help of somebody like L. But with the upside down and a gate, eh, maybe, maybe we can. Maybe there's a physical battle that can happen. You know what I mean? So. So well, that's on an top of that, moment. I do feel like they, they established in the first season that a mother can be psychically connected to the child, even though the child's on the other side. Which, of course, we we drew back to Poltergeist, right? Right, right. The the mother knows that there's a that there's there's a plane that separates her and the child. And even though the mother can't get to the child, they can be emotionally connected in a way. And they can even communicate with each other. And so you got that between Will and Joyce season one. In this in this season, what they're doing is they're saying, well, what's the dark side of that? Is there a way for a creature on the other side to be emotionally connected to one of our heroes? And in this way, they're instead of using sort of that mother-child psychic bond, they're using trauma as that connection. The hero is experiencing trauma. You've got Max's trauma or Patrick's uh, trauma or something like that. And then you've got this predator on the other side that's trying to, I don't know, manipulate it, right? So I do feel like this does, even though Vecna is not a creature we've ever met before, you do get the sense here that there might be a monster on the other side that could exploit some of the rules that they've established in season one. Yeah, so that's the Scooby-Doo gang. It's It really is remarkable how you can get so caught up in these other things and then, and then meanwhile this little gang is going to deliver the information of Vecna. Vecna, it's a direct Vecna threat at this point. Mm-hmm. That's the primary. Well, and they, they, this doesn't work. None of this plot line works unless these are sort of upside-down veterans, right? Right. 
They know how the upside down works. They know to turn the flashlights off. They know to try to piece together the the drawings. They've done this before. They are, you know, they have the they have the knowledge to follow the clues, and no one else in this story really does, or no one else in Hawkins really does, right? So, and in some ways, the fact that there's all these other distractions that the police are going to have to be dealing with, with all these other deaths and murders, it almost works to their advantage because they can, they can kind of oh, the whole town's distracted. Yeah, right? so they They're can do their funerals own thing. and right. And uh, but but also it puts them at a somewhat of a disadvantage because they don't really know what's what's brewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, full on Scooby Doo, full on Scooby Doo, right? Yeah, you know the haunted house trope. It, it works mm. for a reason. Um, the the splitting up, you know, it gives you such a great opportunity to have your, you know, to work character relationships while also adding another sense of like taking a, a place that's already freaky mm-hmm. and then you then you make it even freakier because it feels like they're all a thousand miles away from each other right and it's right <laughs> right and you you know you've added Argyle's mystery machine to this equation you could just right. you know they're going to bring it to Hawkins for sure and you've got your your shaggy character and Eddie who's going to get added to the group and yeah and Argyle will be will be Scooby Doo our guy will turn. He will turn into a giant Great Dane, yeah. <laughs> who can kind of talk a little the only bit. Explanation. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna roll this thing. A one. Argyle drives the mystery machine through the desert. Jonathan, Will, and Mike can't keep a goon alive in the back. The goon gives the boy a pet. The boy's a pen and dies. They bury the goon as Argyle freaks out. The boys find a phone number inside the ballpoint pen. Then they try to use the number and realize they need a computer hacker. It's nice to have smart Jonathan back again. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was kind of a big dummy until this episode. Well, and he'll rise to the occasion. You know, that's what we're learning. Yeah, sure. And that's there I think, go. goes back to some of my theory in the beginning was that, like maybe this is just him just trying to not be responsible for things all the time <laughs> you know and it's like, sure yeah exactly yeah, no, I, I totally get it and <laughs> uh how are you let's i just want to take your temperature on argyle how, how are you feeling about argyle here um i think i think the argyle the amount of argyle so far has been good because i was gonna say that um eddie is certainly growing on me um, because I feel like he's a little bit over he, in that in that first episode. I felt like Eddie with his little speeches and you know his little monologues were a little bit over the top, mm-hmm. and I feel like he settled into a real person for me. Right. Um, in this episode, I feel like our guy was a little bit over the top. What? Listen, the bad government dudes you after your super girlfriend, right? Right. Okay, so maybe the cops can help us find out where she is because they're gonna kill her, man. And if they kill her, they're gonna kill hey. us. Actually, they might kill us before they kill her. I don't know, man. Argyle. Actually, I don't know what order they want to go. They're gonna kill us. Listen to me. Hey, Eddie, Eddie, Moe, shoot him! I don't even know. Yeah, and it, well, he's yeah. I think he's the most cartoonish. Um, exactly. Yeah, and cool. and some of it is a, some of the uh, stuff's a little. It gets a little bit like there's a little too much cartoonish. But, um, well, I do like the idea that okay, they're burying a dead body, like someone should be freaking out, right? Right, like that because you want you know, that's what you would do, like for someone for someone who is not a character in pulp fiction, if you have to bury a dead body, you should freak out. That's that's what a normal person would do, of course. Argyle's not a normal person, um. So his freak out is going to be over the top, I suppose. Right. I don't know. Yeah, and it's it. I think what's kind of fun, and Argyle serves this. Eddie, current. I mean, Eddie's Eddie's going through a lot right now, but uh, I like the people that are getting introduced to that which the Hawkins gang just considers another day at the office to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Like, so everybody's so like, so like burying a body for these kids are like, man, this is, this is, we've seen worse. 
<laughs> we've seen way worse. And uh, and so for Argyle, this is like like dude, there was death in my van, and we're on the run and all yeah. stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we, we, you know, we'll get to all that later. Just just smoke well, weed. It's just smoke weed helpful. about it. It's also helpful the story to have someone who's so stupid that they're, they they act as a chaos agent. Right. His his idea is like, okay, let's take this pizza box and create a headstone that, you know, names us all. Right. <laughs> well, on the other part. So you, you get the idea that like, all right, well, if you're going to keep this guy, like he'll drive you, but he might ruin everything right. 10 right. times. Right? Well, and then on top of that, I think there's something uh, advantageous about having a guy that's that kind of, that big of a doofus is that you may not have to spend a lot of time explaining what's going on because they may take a lot at just face value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or he'll need everything explained and he's sort of this exposition de- device. Right? right, right. Yeah, so it, it works on a lot of levels, narrative level as well as, you know, it kind of moves things along. He's like the right, he's the perfect guy to be your getaway because, uh-huh. I mean, he just wants to get away. Uh, I thought it was interesting that there was that scene where Will was telling Mike that it's scary to tell people how you really feel. And so I thought that that scene worked on a couple different levels. Number one, of course, you know, we've been talking about how Will's probably in the closet, right? Right. So it kind of works on that level where he's telling Mike, look, you know, you're a normal guy. This is what normal people experience. It's, it's tough sometimes for normal guys like you and me to just tell people how they feel. And, of course, you know that we, Will knows this better than anyone, right? So it works on that level. But then it also works, I think, on the level where it establishes some interesting stakes for these characters emotionally. This is a movie that traffics in, or this is a show that traffics in fear, right? You're you're afraid of of Dr. Brenner. You're afraid of the Upside Down and all that brings. You're afraid of, you know, uh, evil communists and all of that business. But for these kids, it's just as scary to have an authentic relationship with someone that you care deeply about. Right. It really does show you that this this show is not just about the haunted house stuff. It's about all of the stuff about growing up and learning to deal with these high school emotions in a new way. Like, all of that is just as scary as any of the monsters we meet. We can destroy every gate and seal up the Upside Down forever, but puberty is still going to be hitting us in the crotch. (laughs) And that's another way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) If you're looking for less sophistication... Yeah. In this case, I'm not sure if I'm Argyle or not. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, I, I really like that. And I like, I mean, it's it's pretty clear to me now. I, I don't feel like there's another way to read uh, Will at this point. Do you? No, I don't think so. I think it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. I, I mean, they haven't come out and say, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I mean, but... I'm on the edge of my seat about that as much as I am with anything else. Right. And there's a part of me that wonders. Because it's not like Mike is the most enlightened guy in the world. No, know? exactly. Uh, and it does make me wonder a little bit, like some of the tension I'm feeling is, will we resolve that this season? Uh, oh, is this something that they're going to bring to the next Yeah, Because Because five. there's a lot going on between now and, I mean, there's if two episodes, I know they're going to be fairly long, but... We still got mm. we still got to get Hopper out of Russia. We've got to figure mm. out the L out of the Nina project. What does that mean? You've got um, you know the lynch mob that eventually forms. You've got all these mm. things going on, and then you're gonna. And the, when, when when is the right time to to give him that poster? <laughs> give him the painting. All right. Well, I don't know, but if this is true to my high school experience. People usually waited till they were out of high school to come out of the closet. Right. And sometimes it didn't even happen then. I mean, it, the 80s is still not a safe place to come out of the closet in most places in America. Well, and we see that with Robin specifically, right? Like, Robin kind of represents right. that. Um, like, even Steve's like such a good friend. Like, he, he can't reveal why they are platonic with a capital P. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, here's what would be interesting to me. 
if in season five we follow them up in college. Mm. So there is, a, you know, I think there's a presumed time jump, right? I I think that they have to do a time jump because these kids are going to be 30 years old. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jonathan's already 45, I think. <laughs> yeah. Just between episodes, I think he aged. <laughs> just, he aged 10 years yeah. just in an episode. Um, so I, it would be interesting to me to see them in college and, and having gone their own ways. Right. Yeah. That'd be interesting. And, and will, you know, will living in the city in a new life and the sort of estranged from Mike, because you know, it didn't go well. It didn't giving him that painting didn't go well. I don't know. I wonder if they might, you know, do a, an it theme. I was just, I was just going to say that when you were done, it was like, will, will it yeah. be a revisiting of Hawkins for some reason? They have to come back, right? They got to come back and they're, they're not, you know, they some of them are married. Some of them are not, some of them are successful. Some of them are not. And, but they have to kind of go back to their roots to, you know, defeat the mind flare one more time. I don't know. Well, if, if you know, this would be, this is, I have no knowledge. I know this is just, this is the opportunity for us to have a little bit of some predictions. Some, mm-hmm. And and so, for whatever reason, I am somewhat convinced that we're going to lose somebody at the end of this uh, season. And, mm. and that's going to have some effect on, on season five. And I'm thinking it's going to be Steve Harrington. Um, oh, I think I'm thinking, and I don't know that it's so much that I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we leave this season with the impression that Steve Harrington died. Season five suggests that maybe he didn't. And that's why we're going back to Hawkins. Interesting. So that's just, that just, just me spitballing. Well, I think that I've, I don't know if I recorded this with you, but I do think that I suggested before that I think it's Jonathan. Mm-hmm. That that might be on his way out, but so back to the back to the will thing. My guess is that you're establishing a theme that you want to pay off at the end of this season. So I think that it, he will reveal to somebody that he is gay at at some point this season. That's mm-hmm. my. I I don't know what that means for sort of the friend group dynamics. Maybe that's what you explore season five or whatever, but. Yeah, I'm on the edge of my seat about that more than, even more than this other stuff. Yeah, and and they've they've slow played it. I mean, they've <laughs> sort of like they do almost with everything with Will. I mean, Will, even though Will was like the the catalyst for season, you know, one's adventures and everything, mm-hmm. and, uh, he's still kind of like, oh yeah, and Will. It's like, you know, like in The Hangover, like yeah, they're all looking for that guy, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> finding it was like all right fine that's fine <laughs> i'm gonna roll this thing we already did three already did one this is the joyce murray and yuri plot joyce and murray are tied up and on their way to mother russia but yuri has time to make jokes to his captive audience Joyce notices that Yuri can't hear them over the airplane noises. They cut themselves free, and Murray fights Yuri and knocks him out. Then the plane crashes in the middle of nowhere, but the passengers survive. I I really love a an airplane fight scene. <laughs> if you can give me like make it a cargo plane, make knock out the pilot at some point. No, so no one's in the cockpit. It always works. I, I'm never not thrilled by that that whole scenario. <laughs> yeah, uh, almost. What well, so? I guess it's not quite Temple of Doom, right? Because they 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 left while they were asleep, and then they had to crash. Right, but the... I mean, you could like almost. I mean, gosh, how many movies have we seen this in? Right, right. So anyway, it always works for me. I'm, I was really happy with Murray this episode. This is a very strong Murray episode for me. <laughs> um, and again, now we've got we get to see him. Put his put his uh, physical skills to the test. My fingers are like arrows, my arms like iron, my feet like spears. Resist, and I will end you. But turn this plane around, and I will spare your life. I I just laughed really hard when he starts talking about Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jer- oh, Jeremiah Jeremiah is the 16 year old from his karate class and you know he calls him a ferocious fighter and <laughs> he's I I know that Murray is sort of an acquired taste but I'm totally into Murray yeah no I, I think I think Murray makes really helps the Russia plot work or make it compelling because I mean mm-hmm. really I mean if you look Joyce Joyce is just playing it pretty straight this uh this season She's become the straight man for sure, and I I do like I do like Winona Ryder in this role better than the constant freak out, mom, right? You know, because it does it is nice to go like you know at some point you figure she'd have to mellow out a little bit, right? <laughs> uh, or she's you know she's been through some stuff. I, I I like that she's thinking like he can't hear us. This is simple. Get free. Beat him in your with your karate skills. Get him to turn the plane around. This is this is not rocket science, Murray. Let's let's get this get this plot rolling, and Murray actually has to kind of hype himself up to make it all happen. Um, okay, let's roll it again. This is eight. This is actually um, I did a little storyline for Patrick. Oh, okay. Uh, Patrick is in a church at the funeral service for Chrissy. He starts to experience a Vecna vision. Later, while with the basketball bullies, he suggests that they go to the cops. Jason convinces the group to track down the Hellfire Club, which is being called a cult now. The bullies go to Reefer Ricks, but Patrick continues to see Vecna flashes. He swims after Eddie, who's trying to escape by boat until until he gets the full Vecna treatment above the surface of the water. So I feel like Patrick... He's there to remind the audience how high the stakes are. Right. Which is which is really key, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's such a key part because there's so much else going on, right? Like, we, all the things we just talked about, and it's easy for for the Vecna threat to be not forgotten, but sort of mm-hmm. moved on from. Um, and Because now it becomes, like, when it becomes part of the Scooby-Doo gang, it's more of a mystery to solve than it is a problem to withstand. And... And I mean, I what they end up doing with with Patrick's death, especially what we see in the next episode, I think is pretty brilliant. How it it yeah, raises the I stakes was, and it and complicates it even further. It totally does, and it plays into the satanic panic stuff. But at the end of this episode, I was thinking, oh, now you got a you got another ally. Exactly. Jason has seen that this is supernatural. That it couldn't have been Eddie. He witnessed a Vecna killing. Um, how is this gonna play? And I did not see the you know the twist in the next episode. Yeah, that's, I just think it's that was such a to me that was maybe one of the finer moments in in the storytelling uh, because it's totally plausible that that would be his interpretation. And here we are jumping to the next episode. Yeah, but I mean, I but I think it's important because I think this does end with the in my I ended up going like thinking ally, thinking like okay, well that like. Yeah. Because I like a little bit of a sigh of relief, almost like mm-hmm. <laughs> you see Patrick die, which is not great. <laughs> but, which but. is kind of what happens with Harrington at the end of season one, right? It's like Harrington ha- is not in on the upside down plot at all, but then as soon as he witnesses the demigorgon, now he's doing bat flips, right? Right. Well, no, then that's exactly it, right? And that's that's why I think you you think that because well, this is how you quell that part. You know, so okay, one less obstacle for for because mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when it but then when it does the switch and we can talk about it when we do the next episode. It's I just, I think it's pretty fantastic because I do leave this episode with the sense of like okay, well, think well, at least Jason saw it. Yeah, very interesting stuff. I do want to talk a little bit about Eddie uh, uh, here. Eddie is sort of playing straight victim at this point. Like like the like the plot is happening all around Eddie. He's so far in this this entire show, he's kind of a character without agency. Mm-hmm. He he like witnesses weird stuff happen. The plot is happening to him. He's running away to reefer rigs. He's trying to escape by motorboat. Um, he he. So far, he's seen two Vecna visions. Um, so I feel like at some point you're gonna. I mean, I guess he is kind of shaggy. <laughs> that's, how, that's that's the way Shaggy functions in every Scooby Doo episode. Um, right, Shaggy. But, shaggy seems like he. Shaggy never seems to have agency. He just seems to. <laughs> he's experiencing it. 
and <laughs> he's experiencing it, and he might like stumble onto being heroic every now and again. But I do feel like at some point Eddie has to do something that moves the plot. Um, so far, the plot has been happening to him, and so I'm kind of waiting to see later on in the plot, like what's he gonna do that actually helps the Scooby Doo gang. Um, to make him an interesting character, because he's clearly an important character for this season, right? And, and unlike a lot of the other uh, victims, where he he's getting a lot more attention, right? So there's something about there's something about him that that is necessary to move things along, and maybe it is almost purely to cultivate the the satanic panic plot. Because if he if he goes away, if he becomes mm-hmm. a vector victim, then Okay, well, maybe we can breathe a sigh of relief. The leader of this cult is gone, um, right? Because he lives with his uncle, right? He doesn't. We don't know what happened to his parents, right? So he could have childhood trauma. Um, they they could do that. He's getting it right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's got enough trauma just in the last couple of days, last of a lifetime. So we get introduced to Eddie in this episode with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which, which led me to this, make a note, and I want to ask you the question. Were you a SpaghettiOs, SpaghettiOs with meatballs, SpaghettiOs with Franks, or none of the above guy? <clears throat> SpaghettiOs is one of these things that I always saw on a commercial that we never actually had in our house. That I always thought would just looked amazing. Beluga caviar to my <laughs> eight-year-old mind, right? And then eventually, when I ended up getting SpaghettiOs at a friend's house, just thinking that they were the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted. It's just hot cat food. And so, <laughs> yes, hot cat food. And so I can say with confidence, Steve, I've only ever had SpaghettiOs once in my life. And there were no meatballs or any any additional. Uh, it was just just plain cat food, basically. So yeah, so I I was a SpaghettiO household, uh, but I was a SpaghettiO with meatballs household. I remember mm. getting SpaghettiOs without anything. Did you also have stovetop stuffing? Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't eat it because it <laughs> okay, seemed like because it seemed like there was a vegetable in it. Um, All right, go ahead. So, so you were a SpaghettiOs household. Yeah, so I would always get the meatballs, and I would go to a friend's house, and they'd be like, hey, you want SpaghettiOs? And I'm like, hell yeah, I do. And then uh, and then it would be like like the way you had it, just like 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 poor, like a poor person. And um, <laughs> and I'm like, what are you going to well, – what do you, what happened? Like They're like, oh, well, this is just SpaghettiOs. The other one is SpaghettiOs with meatballs, and I don't like the meatballs. And I'm like, bro, I'm all about them. The meatballs are like the savory version of Crunch Berries, like – I'm tolerating the rest of the Captain Crunch just so I can get those gross crunch berries. Like if you had, if you had spaghettios that was that was oops all meatballs, I mean I'm in. That's funny because your household was poor, <laughs> <laughs> but but in in your impoverished mind, basically having the meatballs was sort of like having a hot tub out back for you guys. Exactly, even if the hot tub was like like you know leaking, you know. Look, having having meatballs in your spaghettios is like having an above ground pool. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a big fan of spaghettios. Uh, although it was always sort of my white whale, to be honest. I wonder if you can make like a like maybe a more gourmet version, like a, a homemade spaghettios. That because I don't even know if you can, can you just get round pasta. <laughs> So here's what you do, I think. I think what you would do is you would roll your pasta. Mm. You get it real flat. And you get like a little cookie cutter thing in the shape of an O. Mm -hmm. And then what you would do is you would, you know, you would have to like pinch it out. So that you had that nice shape. And it would be a bit fatter than in your traditional spaghetti-o. Right. Um. But I think uh, I think you could do more of a gourmand version of of uh, spaghettios if you if you had the. Here, here's what I would do, and I would because I would take what you just said, and I think it was yeah. inspired. Is you like you said a thicker version of the O. You make a giant O. 
Like just one, just one, one big O? One giant O, and then a big meatball that sits right inside that O. <laughs> Ooh, I like this. That's, that's the gourmet. Oh, man. Mm. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Good night. I'm rich. <laughs> and that's how this episode of Perfect Stranger Things <laughs> ends, folks. Uh, let, let it be known that this idea for the gourmand O... Is on the record. We we've already claimed it. So right, and that's the beauty of it too. Because I mean, when you go to the menu and there's like, um, I think this is a misprint. It just says spaghetti O. I'm like, oh, it's one O. <laughs> oh baby, you go to my restaurant and you take a picture with it, and they're like, show us your O face, and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> I think we've covered what we need to cover. <laughs>